We're having a little bit of difficulty with my mic this morning, so hopefully it'll hang in there. Well, good morning again. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you um, this week are going to cook a turkey or prepare a side or cook a pie? How many of you are going to do that? Many of you in this room are going to do that. Well, I know that this time of year can be a little bit stressful, especially if you're hosting Thanksgiving, because there's just so much to do. Well, I want to provide, with you, provide for you some very, very valuable information, okay? These are some recipes according to some kids, some how-tos, okay, like how to make a turkey, how to make a chicken, how to make a pie, just a few different things. Well, according to Jeremy, okay, not this Jeremy over here, okay, but this is how you cook a turkey. You buy the turkey, take the paper off, then you put it in the refrigerator and take it back out and cut it with a knife and make sure all the wires are out, take out the neck and the heart, then you put it in a big pan and cook it for half an hour at 80 degrees. <laughs> then you invite people over to eat. Okay, according to Alan, this is how he um, makes his turkey. But first you shoot it, important. Then you cut it, and then you put it in the oven and cook it for 10 minutes at 20 degrees, and then you invite people over. Okay, Christopher has some good advice when it comes to making a pumpkin pie. First, you buy a pumpkin and smash it. Then it's all done. And you cook it in the oven for 12 minutes at 4 degrees. Then you eat it. According to Judy, this is how you make an apple pie. Take some apples, mash them up, take some bread, make a pie with it, get some dough and squish it, shape the dough into a pie shape, put it in the put the apples in it, then bake it at 9 degrees for 15 minutes. And then last but not least, Megan shares how to prepare a chicken. You put it in the oven for 25 minutes at 25 degrees and put gravy on it and eat it. All right, now I expect some of you to, to disregard most of what I just said there. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of sick people around your, your dinner table um, over the next few days. But this morning, we're continuing our Vision 2020 sermon series. If you haven't been with us over the past several weeks, we've been walking through our, our vision and mission and core values. So, so far, we've kind of looked at the greater church. We've looked at the mission of the church. We looked at what our vision is as a church. And so say with me what our vision is. It should be up here on the screen. But we exist to glorify God by becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So that is what our vision statement is as a church. A few weeks ago, we began looking at what we value as a church. And so far, we've looked at the Word, we've looked at fellowship, and we've looked at prayer. And this morning, we're going to wrap up our core values, and we're actually going to look at three of them. Um, this, this morning, we're going to look at generosity, we're going to look at worship, and we're going to look at evangelism. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 41, and we're going to walk through verses 41 through 47. This is kind of where we find our, our core values, and this is what we've been looking at over the past several weeks. But Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, 
These are the words of the Lord. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our message point this morning is this, the body of Christ at work. That's what we're going to see this morning. That's what we've been looking at over the past several weeks. But, but it's the body of Christ at work. All of us in this room that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, you are a part of the greater body of Christ. So there is the greater body of Christ, and then there are local expressions of, 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 of churches, of bodies. And Friendship Baptist Church is one of those local expressions, as is your home church, if this is not your church this morning. But notice first this morning, the first church was a giving church. That first church was a giving church. We read in verse 43, the very first part of that verse says, in awe came upon every soul. Some of your translation may say, in fear came upon every soul. So we see here the Lord's power. What were the people in awe of? Why did, what was it that they were fearing? Know this, that the fear that they had was a holy kind of fear. It was not a um, scared kind of fear, but it was a holy fear, a respectful fear. That's why um, in this translation that I use, the ESV, it uses the word all here, because there was a holy reverence that had come upon the people. So we see here, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These people were in awe of the Spirit of God at work through the apostles. In fact, what they were doing had only been seen through, through one other person in all of human history, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So these apostles were performing wonders and signs. Through the Holy Spirit's power on display through them, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak, the lame could walk. They exercised demons, cast out demons from, from those that were possessed. Within the early church, there was an authenticating of the Lord's work that was being done through the apostles. And throughout the Gospels, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this, the work of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He performed miracle after miracle, and as He demonstrated His authority over sin and over salvation and over demons. We, we see how Jesus fed the multitudes on two different occasions. He walked on water. He calmed the raging storm. So, so people were already familiar with the working of the Lord Jesus Christ because they had probably seen it with their own eyes or they had heard about it. Now these apostles, they're doing the very thing that Jesus Christ himself did. Following Jesus healing a paralytic in, in Luke chapter 5, we read these words, Luke 5, 26, an amazement seized them all. 
And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things this day. The very awe awe that the crowds experienced when they saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle is the very awe that they experienced when they saw the disciples, when they saw the apostles performing these miracles as well. You see, when the apostles healed someone, they gave evidence that Jesus was alive in them. And I want you to know this morning that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is as alive in you today as he was with the apostles. And that's good news this morning. Notice next. Notice the church's hospitality. Okay, remember the early church was inaugurated following Pentecost. Okay, you know what Pentecost was, right? It was a Jewish feast that that occurred 50 days after Passover. It was a harvest celebration where people came together to bring their first fruit offerings to the Lord. It was one of three prescribed feasts that that occurred. And what was supposed to happen is three times a year, the men especially were supposed to go to Jerusalem and offer up their first fruit offerings to the Lord. And so people from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem to offer up their sacrifices. And so that's what is happening here in this passage of Scripture. That is what occurred on the day of Pentecost. The reason there were 3,000 people added to the kingdom on that day is because people from all over the known world had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate, I mean, um, Pentecost, this first fruit offering. Notice, Notice what God's Word says in Acts chapter 2. Leading up to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the 120 and the 120 scattering out into the city, these are the words that we read. In Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, we read, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Then visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? People from all over the known world had descended upon Jerusalem. And here's what we can be certain of. These people came into the city as visitors. They had come for a short period of time, for about a week and they, were, they, they brought probably everything they needed to sustain them for that week. They had just enough food. They had just enough provisions for that one week. Well, here's what those people did not ever expect to happen. They never expected Jesus to get inside of them, did they? And so they come into Jerusalem, and they get Jesus inside of them. And what they do is, instead of scattering back to their homes right away, they stuck around in the city so that they could be discipled by the apostles. They, they, they gathered around the apostles, and they were devoted to the Word. They studied the Word together. And so we get this picture of, of what was happening in this early church. The early church was not just made up of people from Jerusalem. In the early days, it was people from all over the known world that had come together to, to, to celebrate 
the Pentecost, but they get Jesus inside of them, and so they stick around. And as they stick around, here's what we can be certain of, most likely, that eventually those that had come to Jerusalem for a week, eventually their food ran out. Eventually their shoes probably wore out. Eventually their money ran out. Most people would panic if that happened, right? If you found yourself driving down the road and your car breaks down and, and, and you realize that your provisions are limited, but you're told by the mechanic in the city, hey, it's going to take about three weeks before we get all of the supplies that you need for your car to get fixed, and, and all of a sudden you find yourself pretty quick um, homeless, right? Your, your money's going to run out. Um, your credit cards may get maxed out if you have a credit card. And so you're going to get kind of stressed out a little bit. Well, we don't get that feeling from these, from these early believers that came into Jerusalem. What we get is we get a picture of generosity at its finest right here. In verse 44, again, we read, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart. The Jews were very hospitable people already. But when Jesus got inside of them, they took that hospitality to a whole new level. I love how we see that these early believers, they were selling their abundance in order to take care of those that had specific needs. You know, some of the most generous people I know on this planet are in this room right here. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. I see it every single week whenever we tally up the tithes. I see it as we go and serve within our community or serve around this building or go on mission together. You give your time. When there is a need around the church or within this community, you step up and you give of your valuable time in order to serve others. You, you give by serving. You, you serve the homeless when we work with the homeless. You serve um, our community when we do block parties. You serve um, at places like Operation Christmas Child or Feed My Starving Children or when we do um, an Easter egg hunt on this campus or when we do a, a fall fest on this campus. You serve and you give of your time by serving. And then you also you give by giving your tithes. You give out of the abundance of what the Lord has given you, and you also give sacrificially. Let me encourage all of us in this room to be generous with what the Lord has given us. Be faithful to give your tithes. Be faithful to give your talents. Be faithful to give your time. Because when we give, it enables us to serve others, it enables us to get the gospel into the hands of others. It allows us literally to reach the nations when we pull our resources together. Notice that the first church was not only a giving church, but they were also a worshiping church. Louis Giglio wrote a book several years ago called The Air I Breathe. And in the opening pages of that book, he, he wrote these words. He says, you, my friend, are a worshiper. Every day, all day long, in every place you worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. We are all worshipers created to bring pleasure and honor to God who made us. 
You may not consider yourself a worshiping kind of person, but you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Should you choose for some reason not to give God what he desires, you'll worship anyway, simply exchanging the creator for something he created. He begins and he says, you, my friend, are a worshiper. Most of us in this room do not think of ourselves as worshipers, but we are worshipers. We give worth to something or someone every single day. The thing that we see about this early church is they were a praising people. Jesus spoke these words to the woman at the well in Samaria. In John chapter 4, 19 through 26, we read, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman had the Lord Jesus Christ right in front of her. And and, and this woman was able to find out what worship really was about. Jesus said that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. You know, the word spirit here is not referring to the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit is actually referring to our inner life, our emotions, our wills, and our heart. When you and I worship the Lord in spirit, it means that our spirit is connecting with the spirit of God. It means that our spirit is in communion with God's spirit. Worship is expressive. It occurs when we give worth to that which we worship. Once again, you and I do not have a worship problem, do we? Because we ascribe great worth every single day. The problem is not the worship. The problem potentially is who or what our worship is ascribed to. Some of you in this room, you worship your children really well. We worship our spouses really well. Maybe our favorite sports teams really well, or our schools, or our jobs, or we worship at the altar of money, or stuff, or buildings. Today, about 325, there's going to be some of you in this room that are going to do a really, really good job of worshiping your Dallas Cowboys, okay? Some of you don't like the Cowboys, but you're probably going to worship some professional football team, potentially. Our problem is not that we don't worship. The problem is what it is that we ascribe our worship to. Scripture tells us that God is a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5, we read, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous because God is in to God. And God wants us to be in to him. You know, let me ask you a question, men, especially men in this room. 
um, women too, I guess, but um, if someone were to hit on your spouse, okay, say you look across the room and you see some man hitting on your wife, you're probably going to be a little hacked off, aren't you? Probably going to get a little angry, especially if it continues. If it continues, I know some of you well enough that you're probably going to go over there and you're probably going to punch somebody, right? Why? Because you are the only person that is allowed to hit on your wife, right? You are the only one that's allowed to show affection to your wife in that way. Well, think about it like this, okay? We are the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. And whenever his bride ascribes worth to someone or something other than him, what's he going to get? going to get a little jealous, isn't he? Why? Because God is in to God, and he wants us to be in to him. God is a jealous God. We read in Psalm 51, 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Man, when our mouth opens, man, let's make sure that we are ascribing the worth to Jesus and not worth to the things of this world. The early believers were appraising people, and they were also an authentic people. They were authentic in that they lived out what they believed. They were not hypocritical people, but they were authentic people. They realized that the world was watching them, so they wanted to make sure they represented Christ well. People are watching us, aren't they? As believers, people know that we are believers, or hopefully they know that we're believers. They should know that we are believers if we're living an authentic life around them. So they're watching us. They're listening to us. They're, they're seeing what we're seeing and, and hearing what we're hearing. And if we're not representing Christ well, then we're being a bad witness, aren't we? You know, I came across... Um, this story that was written by a philosopher early in the second century. I don't know who this philosopher was or anything, but, but I want you to listen to some of these words that this man penned. He said this about the early believers. He said, Now the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking, have found the truth. For they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth, who has no fellow. From him they received those commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observe in the hope and expectation of the world to come. For this reason they do not commit adultery or immorality. They do not bear false witness or embezzle, nor do they covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother and do good to those who are their neighbors. Whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do not worship idols made in the image of man. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored. And they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has gives to him who has not, ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. They do not call brothers those who are bound by blood ties alone, but those who are brethren after the Spirit and in God. Every morning and every hour they praise and thank God for His goodness. To them and for their food and drink they offer thanksgiving. 
If any righteous person of their number passes away from the world, they rejoice and thank God and escort his body as if he were setting out for one, from one place to another nearby. But if one of them dies in his iniquity or in his sins, they grieve, grieve bitterly and sorrow as over one who is about to meet his doom. Such, O king, is the commandment given to the Christians, and such is their conduct. I found I thought that was just um, just just really perplexing because this is how the outside world viewed the early church. They viewed them as being a giving people, a hospitable people, a people that obeyed the law and followed the law, and a, a people that loved the Lord with all their hearts, minds, souls, and strength. People are watching us. They're looking to see if we're authentic. Notice next, the first church was a going church. We see in verse 47 that daily people were being added to their numbers. Well, how were people being added? Because they were going, right? They were going and they were proclaiming the good news of salvation. Um, a growing Christian is a going Christian. Charles Spurgeon said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let's say that again. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let's not be imposters, but let's be missionaries that represent, represent Jesus Christ well. Here's what we can be certain of with this early church. They obeyed the Great Commission. Jesus said, go. So guess what they did? They went, and they shared the good news of salvation with those the Lord gave them and entrusted them with. They did not just share one day a week. They did not just come together one day a week to have church, but they shared the good news of salvation every day. And we know this because daily people were being added to the kingdom. And we also know that they made disciples. You know, I believe that there is a direct link between the generosity that we see in this early church and the making of disciples. Before people scattered back to their homes following Pentecost, they stayed around in order to learn more about Jesus, in order to be discipled. As a church, you and I have been entrusted by God to make disciples, and we've also been entrusted by others who are to make disciples of us. Who are you investing in right now and in making into a disciple of Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question. Who are you making a disciple of today? Is it your kids? I hope so, because our kids are the first people that we're to make into disciples, right? The Lord has entrusted our kids to us so that we can invest God's word into them. So, kids, maybe grandkids, maybe it's your a family member, maybe you're making a co-worker into a disciple, or you're helping to make a friend into the disciple, or maybe you're a teacher in this church and you get to make others in this church help parents make their kids as well, come alongside them to teach them and disciple them. Let me ask you this, who is investing in you to help you become a better disciple? Who is someone stronger in the faith that is investing in you, discipling you, and walking with you so that once you are sent out of here, 
you can go with the good news of salvation ready to invest it into somebody else's life as well. Notice also that they scattered amongst the nations. Eventually, those that came to Jerusalem went home, didn't they? Eventually, they went back to their home cities. And when they went back to their home cities, they went armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel was in them. And they went back to their homes and they shared the good news of salvation. They went back into their cities and they shared the good news of salvation. They planted churches. They discipled people. They baptized one another because that is what the Great Commission tells us to do. And we can be certain that these early believers did that very thing. As a church, you and I have the privilege of going on mission. We, since I've been here over the past seven years, we have gone to places like New York and Virginia Beach, to Houston, to Ecuador, Israel, and to different places. We've got members within this church that haven't gone on a mission trip with us necessarily, but they've gone to other places, places like Belize, places like Mexico, places like Africa, in other places. Last summer, we did not do a mission trip for a number of reasons. I want you to know that I struggled with that because we've been commissioned by God to go, haven't we? So in the next few weeks, you're going to begin hearing of, 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 some, of an upcoming trip where we are going to go on mission this coming sum, summer. Why? Because we've been commissioned by God to go. So I want you to begin now praying about that. We're looking at going to Ecuador July the 3rd through the 11th, and I want you to pray about going with us. So in conclusion this morning, we see that the first church was also a blessed church. In verse 47 again, we see praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How was this early church a blessed church? They were blessed because the Lord added to their number. You know, my prayer is that the Lord not only adds to our number daily, but the Lord adds to the greater church's numbers daily as well. The Lord, we also see with this first church, we see the Lord's graciousness. We see God's graciousness throughout His church. He created us for perfect fellowship with Him, but guess what happened? Sin happened, didn't it? In the garden, um, sin occurred, and whenever that first sin occurred, it set off a death spiral for all of humanity. And, and what all of us in this room deserve, we deserve hell, right? But God, but God in His graciousness sent His Son Jesus to come and dwell amongst us. And the Bible says that if we will call out to Jesus, and ask Him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. And if we would make a commitment to follow after Him and repent of our sins, Scripture is very clear that we will be saved. You may be here this morning and you have yet to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You have yet to make Him Lord and Savior of your life. You have yet to repent of your sin. If, you're, if that's you this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room are sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. But there is good news 
The good news is this. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death, but. There's that but again. But God. But God. Wages of sin is death, but God provided a way for all of us in this room to be forgiven of our sin, didn't he? Through the free gift of salvation that he has offered to every single one of us in this room. If we were to repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives, the Bible is clear that we shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you are here this morning and if you were to die, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. In just a moment, I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice this. A grace-filled people Grace-filled people do not sit back and watch, do they? No, grace-filled people, they're devoted to the Word. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to being generous. They're devoted to worshiping in spirit and truth. And they're devoted to going across the street and around the world with the good news of salvation. A healthy church is a reproducing church. Let's be a healthy church. Let's be a church that, that just like that er, early church at our very core, may God's word be foremost, may it be the foundation by which we do everything in our lives. And may we be a praying people, may we fellowship with one another and fellowship with other believers. May we be a individ- group of people that worship in spirit and tr- truth. May we go to the other parts of this world and may we be generous with our time, and our talents, and our treasures. As we conclude this morning, once again, I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but if you're here this morning, and you don't know for certain if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity, I'd love to share with you more about that in just a moment. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If, if the Lord is leading you to find out how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be here, and I'd love to share with you more. At the conclusion of the service, I'll be um, either out in the foyer area or over in the gym area, and I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while. The Lord is calling you to make friendship your church home, and you've come during this time as well. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, a gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the love of sending your Son to this earth. Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life and going to the cross and dying upon that cross for our sins. Thank you for resurrecting to life three days later. Father, through your resurrection, all of us in this room can experience life when we surrender our lives to you. And so, Father, I pray now that if there is someone in this room that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning they'll do that very thing. They'll cry out to you. Admitting that they're a sinner, they'll cry out to you, admitting that they, they worship really well, but they ascribe worth to things other than you. May today be the day that they begin to worship you. 
Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. Move now during this time of invitation. First in Jesus' name we pray.